Today, we have a missionary uh, couple with us. Who, they have been missionaries in the country of Thailand for over 30 years. And uh, they are great friends. I know their children uh, or one of their kids and, and that. And, uh, and uh, the crazy thing is, is Mark was born in Sock Center and spent most of his life, or uh, the early part of his life, in holding for it. You'll hear some of that as he gets up here. But uh, this is a local guy who has spent the last 30 years of his life in Thailand in a world that we call the Buddhist world. Uh, there are a million Buddhists. He's going to talk a little bit about this in our world. And uh, this is, for me, this is a passion uh, of mine. I'm passionate about the local side of what it means to be the church. I'm passionate about the next generation and raising up children and teenagers. I'm also very passionate about what's happening around the world, and that's just who we are as a church. And so uh, Mark is going to share with us today. I'm excited the, for you to hear a little bit about what's been, been going on. And so will you put your hands together and just welcome him as he comes today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You may be seated. As they say in Thailand. So, yeah, we've been in Thailand for 30 years. And uh, as I told the crowd this morning, I've preached more in Thai, much more in Thai than I have in English. So I'm, and this is our first service back. We just got back to Minnesota on Monday from 90 degree weather in Thailand. And that's the cold season. So, uh, so we're still adjusting. Thank you for providing nice weather for us since, we got, since we've been here. But still, we're free, freezing cold and uh, learning to adjust back. Uh, so yes, thank you, Pastor Kyle, for inviting us. And thank you, church, for your support. You support us on a monthly basis. We appreciate that so much. And I didn't realize until just between services, you guys support like 10 workers, global workers in the Buddhist world. So several in Northern Asia, China, in, in that area, several from the, my area around Thailand and uh, Nepal. So, wow. Uh, you're probably, as a church, you probably support more workers in the Buddhist world than any other of our supporting churches, probably very close to it. So um, I don't know if that was intentional, but thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a huge need, as you'll hear about a little bit uh, throughout this message. Yeah, I was born in Sauk Center. My mom was part of the youth group in, the, in Sauk Center, AG Church. There's a little tiny, I don't know if any of you ever saw the little church in downtown. And I was there several times. When I was there as a kid, there were two ladies pastoring the church. It was just this little tiny place. Mom was in the youth group there. Dad was in the youth group in Long Prairie. So we're really super connected, right, with River of Life, River of Life because those are your two locations. And Dad uh, grew up on a farm in the, in the Long Prairie area. And uh, they were married. My dad got a job uh, at a dairy craft that was just starting up in Holding Ford. So they moved over to Holding Ford, and that's where I grew up. And uh, they t decided to take us to church in Little Falls, Minnesota. And so that's, uh, that's where I always went to church as a kid growing up until college. And um, so God took a, a central Minnesota kid and sent him off to the other side of the world, which is a crazy story. But um, in fact, uh, I want to speak to people who God might be, God still calls people today into missions. And uh, God may have spoken to your heart at one point or the other saying, 
hey, this is, this is something I want you to consider. Uh, I remember as a kid, 14-year-old kid in Little Falls, when a missionary from Missionary Aviation Fellowship, so it's a group that flies missionaries around very remote places of the world, uh, where they came to Little Falls and presented their mission experience and so forth, and they showed a little film called Jungle Pilot. It was about Nate Saint and the five missionaries who were killed or martyred by the Aka tribal group in Quito, Ecuador, back in the 1950s. And something about that touched my heart as a 14-year-old kid. And the Holy Spirit said, I want, you to, I want you to be a missionary, which is kind of weird when you think about it, isn't it? Uh, those guys got killed, <laughs> and, I, and I wanted to do it. I, don't, I guess I can't explain why. I don't want to get, I don't want to die. That's not exactly why I responded to the call. But, but, you know, God used the martyrdom of those five missionaries to call thousands, literally thousands of missionaries over these years and uh, used that time to speak to my heart. And so I prepared to go as a missionary pilot. That was, I, I was super shy. Uh, if you read my book, I explain a little bit about, about that in the book too. But I was super shy. I would have never said yes to a call to preach. I would, not, I would not have done that at that time. But I went to North Central Missions degree there and learned to fly and, and planned to, to fly as a missionary career. Uh, until God just interrupted our direction. We were already married, had a couple kids at that time, and said, no, we're going a different direction. But I want to encourage you uh, with a couple of things. Number one, God still calls today, and we should be listening to that call. And part of the reason why we still do missions, number one, God created Adam and Eve to do what? To take care of the world. And he still, we as human beings are God's highest creation. We are his ultimate creation. We're created to be his family. And we're created to be the inheritors of everything that God is making and doing. And so heaven is for us. It's not for anything else. It's not for the angels. It's not for anything else God created. It's for human beings. We are the ultimate of God's creation. It's incredible when you think about it. But he's called us to take care of the world. And that's part of our, still our responsibility today. The church of Jesus Christ um, is God's arm to the rest of the world. And that's why we are global. That's why we do global. Um, and so God still calls today and listen to his voice. And if he calls, he empowers and he enables. And I would have never said yes to that except that uh, God had his way of, 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 of tweaking my interest and you know, through flying and so forth and then, uh, and then answering his call to missions. That was always in my heart since I was 14 years old. Uh, and... Um, so uh, listen to his voice, and, I, and the Buddhist world needs workers. And so listen to his voice today. If he's touching you, calling you, speaking to your heart about missions and volunteering and going, um, listen and, and don't be afraid. And don't say you're not equipped, because I wasn't equipped. And in fact, I noticed another thing that I want to I say. God still calls today, and God uses simple, ordinary people. And I was a simple, ordinary holding Ford kid that had nothing special about me. And, and I, had no, uh, I, I had no ideas that I was going to be someone that, that God could use in another country to speak another language and plant churches and train pastors and do all kinds of things. I had no uh, dream of doing that kind of thing when God called me. But God loves using simple, ordinary people. Uh, listen to this. In, Gide in Gideon's case, Judges chapter 6, verse 15, Gideon says, 
when he's called by the angel, who some people say might be God himself or Jesus who appeared to Gideon, he says, pardon me, Lord, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Not uh, my clan is weak, but my clan is the weakest, the very lowest. And not that I am little, but I am the least in my family. God, throughout the scriptures, loves to take not just the little, but the smallest, the very least, and say, I'm calling you not because you're able to do this. I'm calling you because you're the smallest. You can't do it, but through me, you can do it. So, so don't be afraid. Then Saul and Saul, the first king of Israel, in his case, uh, in 1 Samuel 9, 21, what, is, what was Saul's background? He said, I, am I not a Benjamite, Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? So once again, the smallest tribe, the least of all the tribes, and the, his clan, the humblest of all the clans. And then David's case, King David, who followed Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, the youngest. So God loves taking people who are not just incapable or small, but the smallest and making them the greatest. And, and so praise God that we, uh, even though we feel we're unable to do great things for God when he calls us. He loves taking the weakest and the smallest and the least able and helping them to do great things. And uh, that's for us this morning. Um, God called us to Thailand, very, very spiritually dark place. Uh, it's a country that after almost 200 years of missionary efforts, there's fewer than 1% Christians. The number is 0.7% believers there. Even though it's totally free to preach the gospel there, it's legal. In fact, our visa and work permit uh, for all these years said that we are there to which means to evangelize, to propagate Christianity there. So it's totally legal. It's always been. And still the response of the people is minuscule. It's very, very small, very, very difficult, challenging place. And part of that is because of the spiritual atmosphere. Some of you have traveled there and, and you see the temple temples everywhere and you see public bowing down before idols and things. One of the groups that was there just recently said, this is like the Old Testament. There's idols everywhere. There's people worshiping idols, bringing sacrifices. Just didn't realize there are places in the world like this. There are places in the world like this. In fact, uh, the Buddhist world is a billion people. How many is that? That's three Americas. Every single person in the U.S. We have, what, 330 million people times three makes a billion. There's three Americas that make up the Buddhist world. A billion people. And uh, these people are people who uh, are very, very spiritual. There's a spiritual aspect of it that makes the gospel very, very diff challenging uh, to accomplish. And so when uh, back in, uh, when we first went to the mission field, this is 30 years ago, I brought my three kids, Krista, Jairus, and, and Jocelyn. And Krista was 12, Jairus was 10, and Jocelyn was five at that time, our three kids. And, and Krista has a special connection to Pastor Kyle <laughs> um, because when Kyle was in, uh, in, at, at North Central, you were at North Central and you came and did an internship at Little Falls Assembly of God where I was gone by then. I was 
in Thailand. No, no, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I was in Thailand, of course. I was in Thailand at that point. And, uh, uh, and uh, my dad liked your pastor so much that he came up to him one day and he offered him money to take out my daughter, Krista, who was going to North Central at the time. He's saying, hey, you got you to gotta, you gotta meet this girl. So he tried to hook up my daughter and him. Uh, and so uh, we, we do have a special connection there. <laughs> he didn't. And, then, and Donna says, well, thank you. I don't know where Donna is, but uh, she's not here. Okay. So uh, she, she says, thank you. And so, but uh, Krista now is married and, and is a missionary in Thailand. So she lives in Chiang Mai where she grew up. And we live now in Bangkok. So we're 400 miles away. But um, so, we, yeah, we have that special connection. And, and uh, so Kyle's known my folks for, for all these years. And that's cool. Uh, before he before he started dating Donna, by the way, so uh, it, it was all it was all cool, it was all good. But I brought my I brought my family. We we went to Thailand, and the first thing we had to do when we arrived, and and we flew right to Chiang Mai, uh, northern Thailand, and uh, got on these little tuk tuks, little three uh, wheel things, and put our bags on there. And we had two of them, and we went through some dusty streets and found this guest house we stayed in. And first thing we had to do was to look for a house to rent. And uh, that turned into a, a, a quite of an experience as we looked through six or seven places that day, different houses that, that we, we thought we could rent. And we noticed one thing about just about every house that we saw in the city. And that was a little uh, spirit house, looks like a dollhouse on, on, a, on a pedestal in the front yard of every home. And what is it? Well, uh, it's the spirit owner of the property. So the spiritual atmosphere in these places is that there are spirits all over the place. It's just kind of an accepted part of life. It's not like, are there demons and angels? Well, everyone knows there are in that, in that part of the world. It's just part of their, their culture and their understanding. And so they believe that that spirit that there are spirit owners for every piece of property. And so these spirit houses are set in a corner of every property uh, as a place of honor for the spirit of that property. And every day, people have to bring a little sacrifice or a little uh, offering of water, a fruit, uh, something to give to that spirit while they kneel down, meditate, light some incense, and ask blessing of that spirit for the day. Oh, that spirit is called in Thai, Jiao Tidin, which means the owner of the property. And so literally, they, the, they believe in the existence of spirits everywhere. And so every house that we went to look at had a spirit house in front of it, except one. And, and that was the one we really liked, the right place, the right price, the right size and everything. Uh, and that house didn't have a spirit house, but we went inside the house with the, uh, with the owner of the house, and she began to show us through. Well, upstairs on the second level, there was a large room up there that was the spirit room. So they didn't have a spirit house, but she had a whole room that was dedicated to, to the spirits. And in that room, uh, it, you could smell the incense as you came up the stairs. Uh, there were candles burning. There was incense burning. There were idols piled on this big table against the wall. And uh, right just to the right of that table uh, against the wall was a chair. Propped up on the back of that chair was a large life-size picture of an Indian guru, guy with big hair and beard and things, and uh, from his waist up. And then laying on the chair was a pair of pants 
that just kind of came uh, and the legs hang, hung down and then some sandals down there. So it just gave the appearance of the guy sitting there. And a, a pillow, a kneeling pillow, was set away from the chair a couple of feet. And you could see wax drippings on the floor and stuff. And she said every day she communicates with this guy and gets advice and input and, and so forth uh, spiritually from, from this person uh, sitting there. And his picture was also on the table next to it. And then the, downstairs there was another picture of that guy uh, on the wall. And uh, so this is the just kind of the atmosphere that we were walking into. And you could sense a very, very powerful spiritual presence in that place. And in fact, my son, a 10-year-old son, uh, left the house. He said, I, I can't be here. It's giving me a headache. I can't even be here. And he sat down on the front steps outside. And, and so when we went back to the guest house that evening to talk about where we were going to rent a home... I was thinking in my brain, what kind of a father am I bringing my kids and my wife into this situation, into this crazy spiritual darkness situation? And, um, and, and as we considered what house we were going to take, there were no like non-spiritual places to choose from. They all had the spirit houses or, or this spirit room. I mean, it was, it was a challenge coming from here, from central Minnesota uh, into that, just kind of being dumped into that atmosphere, realizing the rest of our lives were going to be living here. Uh, so we sat down in, in the, the, the guest house in a circle and just began to pray, saying, Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your help in this. And the house we liked was that guru house on the, with, a, with the big spirit room. And, and as we sat there and we began praising God, give us wisdom to know what to do. Uh, you know, what is right for us to move into a situation like that or, or not? And almost immediately, uh, 1 John 4, 4 came to my, my mind as we prayed, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when I heard that, I knew God was saying, yes, go for it, because the spirit of God that lives in you is way more powerful than those demonic spirits and whatever spirit of darkness exists on the outside. And so, and, and we said yes. And so we decided we would go ahead and move into that room. And just this morning as, we were, as, as I was listening, you know, uh, following worship and you talked about the spiritual darkness that people here are experiencing with sickness, with mental illnesses, with accidents, losing people, the challenges, we're all we're all surrounded at times with spiritual darkness challenges. And I want to encourage you this morning that greater is he in you than he that is in the world. That, that whatever you're facing, God, the almighty maker of the heavens and the earth, has taken up residence in your heart. As a follower of Jesus, his presence lives in you, and that power within you is able to help you to live in the midst of darkness. I mean... As we, we lived, our, especially in that first term, we had tremendous opposition. It seemed like every time we made an advancement forward, uh, Satan would just come at us and, and we'd be pushed back, you know, two steps. And, um, and I remember driving one day down the streets in Chiang Mai and just looking back and forth at the spirit houses everywhere and the idols and people doing public worship and thinking, this is such a place of spiritual darkness 
how can we even live here and be here uh, with all of this atmosphere, spiritual atmosphere? And God just gave me a picture in my, in my mind or in my spirit of a dome of protection that kind of just settled over our, each one of us and around our car at the time. is like his dome of protection of light. We were living in light. We're living in light. Why? Because the light of the world is living in us. And so we can be living in the middle of a dark, dark place, but his dome of protection is around us and is, is covering us. And so we lived our 30 years in Thailand in a very spiritual, dark place, knowing that we were covered, we were surrounded, we were protected by the dome of God's protection. And so I want to encourage you, encourage you this morning, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark it is outside, you are living in the dome of God's protection because his spirit lives in your heart. He lives in you. He's surrounding you. He's protecting you. And as you pursue him, know him, love him more, relate with him more, that, that he's not going to, he, those uh, things are not going to break through. That darkness is not going to break through. And you're protected. You're protected by his care and his love. Praise the Lord that greater is he in you than he that is in the world. I want to show you, I didn't, you're going to be glad you're at the second service. I didn't show it to the first service, but can we show that there's, living in Thailand, we're going to show a little a short video clip. Uh, we're surrounded by a lot of weird stuff, very odd stuff. And I just want to give you a couple examples of, of that right here in this uh, little short clip. I lived in Chiang Mai, Thailand, just a couple of miles from a temple called Doi Kham Temple. Uh, this temple that was built in the 700s, so it's like 1400 years old. These are old places. And so they have an annual ceremony where they invite the demons to come out of the hills and come and eat this, this water buffalo. And the way it's done is they bring in a person who's uh, the shamanistic person, the, uh, a witch doctor basically, and uh, he works himself into a frenzy and becomes demon-possessed, and so he takes in these demons that come out of the hills, and uh, then he rips into a wild uh, uh, water buffalo with his knife and starts to cut it up and then starts to eat this raw flesh. It happens every year, and it be it's become a media uh, uh, event uh, on an annual basis in Chiang Mai. Another temple nearby is a uh, tattoo temple where tattoos are applied by demon-possessed monks who are using uh, spirit-possessed ink they concocted themselves that includes bits of hair or body parts from dead ancestors. And, uh, and they believe that applying these tattoos are ways of keeping bad spirits out. But what it actually happens is they're invoking the power of demonic spirits uh, into the, the people that they're tattooing. Uh, during the annual Y Crew uh, Day, Thai people by the thousands who's received tattoos from these monks come to that temple. And as they sit there in this massive crowd, uh, you'll see one after another after another suddenly become demon-possessed and they begin to shake and shout and some run around and, and hurt themselves and have to be restrained. They have guards on duty to, to help take these people out as they uh, demonstrate demonic influence in their, in their life. 
So why crew day happened yesterday in Thailand? And uh, not this came from right before COVID, but um, so yesterday our colleagues went there and filmed a bunch of stuff and I just got fresh pictures last night. Same thing, it happens every year there, uh, the, the Y Crew Day. So w we visited that place, uh, not with the Minnesota team, but with uh, another team. We visited that place and talked to the head monk and he, and he explained to us how they prepare for the Y Crew Day and they spend about a week channeling spirits and, and talking in that room where you saw the demon masks and stuff. That's, that's where uh, they, they gather and prepare for a week of meditation and so forth for this Y Crew Day. And the purpose is to re, uh, repower all the, the tattoos that all these thousands of people have gotten. And it's extremely spiritual, and it's kind of normalish life for people in Thailand. It's that just to accept that the spiritual stuff exists. Uh, that uh, the uh, the first picture of the guy who takes in the demons from the forest and then uh, represents the demons by eating the the cow or the raw flesh of the cow and drinking the blood. That's an annual festival in Chiang Mai. Uh, we're just really close to where we live. We can look, look out our window and see that, that, that temple. That's the kind of atmosphere that, that we've, we've lived in in Thailand. It's a very real thing. It exists today, and that's, why, that's one of the reasons why the gospel is such a challenge in these places, and it's why we need prayer. It's why we need people praying for, for the missionaries, for the churches there, for the pastors and stuff, because the breakthroughs happen not because of human effort, but breakthroughs happen because of spiritual effort and, and in response to prayer. There's one other reason why it's a big challenge to reach Buddhist people, and that's because the philosophy of Buddhism is exactly, there couldn't be a more opposite philosophy than the gospel, is the basic Buddhist philosophy. Uh, Buddha taught that uh, in, in the four noble truths, number one, that life is suffering. If you live, if you exist, it's suffering, and your uh, objective is to find a way out of life, out of living. They believe life is a cycle called samsara, of birth, death, and rebirth, and you can't ex escape that. You, you know, when you die, you have to be reborn. The only way to escape is by following these four steps. Number one, life is suffering. And so if I were to say to a Buddhist person, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Here's how a Buddhist person might hear that. First of all, for God, a Buddhist person will say, well, well which God? There's lots of spirits. We call them all God. God. Uh, which God are you talking about? And secondly, if there is a God, and Buddha was asked one time, is there a God big enough to have created the whole earth? Is there a spirit big enough? Because at, Buddha was coming out of Hinduism at the time. He lived 500 some years before Christ. Uh, he came out of northern India, Nepal, which is now Nepal right now, and, uh, and, and came out of this Hindu tradition. So I like to say Buddha was a Hindu. Uh, and uh, so uh, Brahman, the Hindu god Brahman is said to have been the creator. So his question was, is there a god big enough to create the world? Buddha said, if there's a god big enough to create this world, he's evil. Uh, because he created a world of suffering and he trapped us all in it and we can't escape. So he's an evil god. So no thanks, I don't want to know him. Don't tell me about your god. And so if we proclaim as Christians, there is a god. He's the creator of all things. They'll say, no thanks, we don't want that uh, and, and, and then we say, for God so loved the world. Buddha taught, number one, life is suffering. Number two, suffering is caused by desires. And it's because we desire things. 
that suffering happens. And so we have to, number three, we have to eliminate all desires from our life if we hope to eliminate suffering. That means we have to separate ourselves from any kind of, any kind of desire. And all desires, good and bad desires, lead to suffering. And so even those good desires we have to eliminate from our life. And love is what? It's a desire. And so um, Buddhists say that as you meditate, you have to uh, lift yourself above every single desire. And love is one of the hardest to get rid of. And if once you reach the point of not, no longer needing to love or be loved, you're getting close to enlightenment. You're getting close to removing yourself from the need to live anymore and escaping life. So uh, a God who loves is what? a weak God who has not yet attained that level of enlightenment. And so we're proclaiming a God who loved. And people will say, okay, God's evil and God who loves is weak. And then he died on the cross for our sins in this excruciating, painful death. And a Buddha, Buddhist will look at the cross of Jesus' suffering and, and, and think to themselves, Jesus had very, very bad what? Karma. So we all know about karma. Karma is both a Hindu and a Buddhist term. Karma means you're living the fruit of past lifetimes. And so if you've done lots of good things in your past lifetimes, now you're wealthy and healthy and rich and you're living a great life, you have good karma. If, if, but if you were a bad person in your past lives, you might be sick a lot, you might be poor, you might have a lot of disadvantages, uh, and so you have bad karma. Anyone who dies a violent death is considered to have been a murderer, a violent person in their previous life. And so looking at Jesus dying a violent death, the assumption is he was a murderer, something terrible in his previous life. And then finally, John 3.16 ends with, uh, whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And a Buddhist has what? Everlasting life already. He's trapped in this uh, uh, birth, death, and rebirth cycle and can't escape. And so the gospel doesn't make sense in, in, its, in its form unless you bring it in a certain contextual way. And so those are things that, that, that do not happen on a natural level. They happen on a spiritual level. Paul, the apostle in Ephesians chapter 6 and other places says, says that we're not fighting a, a battle of flesh and blood. We're not using our minds or our, our, our uh, uh, strategic abilities to win these kind of battles because we can't win using those, those kind of weapons. But we're fighting a spiritual battle and we need spiritual weapons to win those battles. And uh, back 19 years ago, oh, no, after we were in Thailand for 19 years, I was approached by our mission leadership and they asked me to serve as the area director for five countries, which included uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, and Myanmar. And those are, are the Buddhist, uh, cluster of Buddhist countries that are really the highest percentage Buddhist countries in the world, which I didn't even know at that time. I just love Thailand, love Thai food, <laughs> love Thai people, love to preach in Thai, love to plant churches and things like that. And so when they, were, they asked us to, to consider serving as the area director for five countries, I said first immediately, no, thanks. I don't want to do that. I love being in Chiang Mai. We plan to retire, you know, work there the rest of our life and retire uh, there. And uh, they said, um, they, first of all, they said, okay, don't, don't say no. You can't say no because you're a Pentecostal missionary, right? So you got to pray about this before you say no. And so they sent me back to Chiang Mai. They said, pray about this for two weeks and then come back. So we went to, back to Chiang Mai. 
and I and I did a search uh, on on the web about Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and this whole area. And one of the first things that came up was a CIA map of the world broken down by religions, and I realized that uh, of Buddhism throughout the globe, the five countries, the one place in the world where the percentage was greater than 50% in in that whole cluster was was those five countries. It's the most Buddhist place in the world. And as I looked at that map, I saw a whole map that was light and suddenly this dark area right down here where I was being asked to serve. And it, I, I felt offended. I, I said, God, this isn't right. This is wrong. I'm living in the middle of the darkest place in the entire world. And, 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 and the, the map has to change. That map has to change. And so change the map just came to my heart at that point. And this was a little over 10 years ago. And so we, I felt like God was saying, yes, we need to take the leadership of, that, of, of, of those five countries. And so for the past 10 years, Janie and I have been serving as area directors for, for those five countries. And during that time, uh, I began to become more and more aware of the need for intercessory prayer. And I want to share a couple things about prayer um, that, 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 have, that, that have showed me, first of all, that intercessors are the elite troops on the front lines of a spiritual battle. You know that when uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, as soon as they crossed the Red Sea and they began to march through the desert, the, just a couple of days later, the Amalekites, be, uh, this other group of people, tribal group, began to attack them, uh, the weak people in the rear, and began to steal from them and so forth, and they entered into their very first battle. Moses told Joshua, get the troops together, go out and fight the Amalekites, and, uh, and, and so they did that in the valley, and Moses took his position on top of the hill overlooking the ba battle and watched the battle, and what did Moses do? He brought his staff with him, and whenever he raised his staff, and I think I have the scripture there, whenever he, Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. We see that the staff here was critical to the battle. Whenever Moses had the hands up, Israel could win. Whenever he didn't, even if Israel fought as hard as they could, they used their sword, they didn't stop, they had their same strategy, they worked as hard as they could, they couldn't win unless the staff was in the air. And I believe that's a picture of ministry. That's a picture of evangelism. That's a picture of ministry in the Buddhist world. And I began to realize that I was the, the, the person in the valley, the missionaries, the, the pastors, the preachers who were doing the evangelistic work were down in the valley with the sword, fighting, strategizing, trying as hard as we could to win that spiritual battle. But we were lacking the staff being held in the air. We were lacking prayer partners. We were not being victorious. To be victorious in, in these kind of situations, and let me say it goes beyond just the Buddhist world, it goes into your world too, to be a victorious into situations where there's spiritual opposition, the staff is more important than the sword. That is, prayer is more effective than whatever kind of strategy you have to reach out to the lost people. And that's certainly true in the Buddhist world. Uh, when, and I've been beginning to share that with our missionaries over the past uh, several years. 
until our missionaries, and, to, and, 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 and I speak to myself as well, until we recognize, acknowledge that prayer is even more important than the work we do on the field, we're not going to have enough prayer. And that's where you come in. Because you guys are far more of a partner with world missions than, than you realize and than I have realized over the years. Yeah, we always ask for financial support. We always ask for prayer. But how important is that prayer? Folks, it is critical to the battle. Your prayers for world missions is critical to the battle in, in, in these places. Uh, we desperately need the, that partnership to make it happen. And I have been acutely aware over the years that we don't have enough prayer backing to win the battle. And that if we're going to see breakthroughs happen, which I wish I had time to share, but there's beginning to be some breakthroughs happening in the Buddhist world already. Praise God. That's going to happen when, when the people who are supporting us are holding that staff up in prayer. And so that's what Change the Map is. Change the Map is trying to bring an awareness to the church, to you all, that yes, your giving is critical and important. Yes, your sending and your going is so powerful and critical. But the most critical thing that you can do for world evangelism is, is consistently be on your knees in prayer for breakthroughs to happen in the Buddhist world. What happens when, when, breakthrough, when, when people are praying? Hearts begin to open up and seek God and hunger for God and thirst for God. You know, in places like in Thailand where the gospel's been preached for almost 200 years unrestricted, and, there, and there's less than 1% of the population that has become Christians, and half of those who are Christians, there's about 500,000 Christians in Thailand out of, a, out of 60, uh, 67 million people, 500,000 uh, Christians. Half of those are tr from tribal groups along the northern part of the country that are not even Buddhists. They're from animistic or spirit uh, religion backgrounds. Um, but when people are calling out to God and praying and crying out to the Lord, hearts start, suddenly start to open up and people start to hunger for truth. People start to hunger for God. They, they, and when you present the gospel, they hear it and they understand it and they begin to come to Jesus Christ as is beginning to happen in some parts of, of Thailand. Intercessors are the elite troops on the front lines of spiritual battle. I want to say there's four kinds of prayer. I'll, I'll do this quickly. There's four kinds of prayer. There's lots of kinds of prayer, but I'm, I'm breaking it down just, just by four today. Uh, number one, there's thanksgiving prayer. And all of us should be doing thanksgiving. You know, D David, the psalmist writes, enter his presence with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. When we thank God, when we worship God, we come into his presence. If you feel cold and far from God, worship. Just spend some time worshiping God and we're entering his presence. That should be a daily part of our prayer life. We should, be, we should start out and probably that should be the longest part of our prayer is just thanking God for who he is, for his greatness, his power, his might. Number two, uh, we're told that a communal time with God is another kind of prayer, which is just hanging out with God. God created us for the purpose of being friends, of, of relationship. God created us to relate with him. Different from anything else that God created, God created people to be his, voluntarily be God's friend. 
and to relate with him. I love uh, the, the scripture where God commends Moses and says, Moses used to speak, or God used to speak to Moses, not Moses used to speak to God. I love this. God used to speak to Moses as a friend speaks with a friend. And that's the kind of communal relationship that God wants with us. That's why he told the Levites to keep that menorah, that, that seven uh, candlestick thing in front of the Holy of Holies. Keep it burning all night, all night long. You got to, part of the job of, of those Levites was to keep that thing going all the time. Why? It represented a constant communion with God. And there were the Levites that were the singers, and they were on call 24 hours a day, and their job was just to sing and, and, to, and to commune with God on an ongoing level. That's what Paul meant in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, a pray without ceasing. It's this kind of this communal prayer with God, where we're always just kind of opening, open our ears are open to God and interacting with him. So, so there's worship or, or thanksgiving prayer, there's communal prayer, and then there's petition where Jesus said, go ahead and pray uh, for your daily bread. Pray for your needs. And we need to bring our petitions to him. That's important. And, and we need to come boldly, Hebrews tells us, come boldly unto the throne of grace to find great mercy and grace to help in time of need. But there's one other kind of prayer that we sometimes don't uh, pay attention to or we think is delegated to people who are especially gifted, and that is intercession. Intercession is the kind of prayer that literally... And I'm stepping on a uh, 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 um, balance, balance beam here uh, a little bit that changes the mind of God. Did you know that God never changes? His nature never changes. His promises never change. But there's one thing that, cha that God changes his mind on. And we see Moses was involved in it several times. We see Jonah, the prophet Jonah was involved. We see multiple examples throughout the scriptures where God, where it says God changed his mind. But he only changed his mind for one thing. Not for any good promise. Not his nature. The, God changed his mind for only one thing. And that one thing was this, his promise of judgment and punishment. Whenever God promised judgment and punishment, what did he promise that for? Why did he do it? Why did he send the prophets? Why do all those prophets go like Jonah went to Nineveh and said, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this city? He didn't say if. He just said, in 40, this is what God says, in 40 days, the city is done. It's burned. It's gone. Why did God send him? Why? So that the people would repent and fall on their face and call out to God and say, forgive us, God, forgive us. And the Bible says from the king on down to everybody else, they put on sackcloth and, and, and express their sorrow to God and say, God, please forgive us. And what did God do? God relented on the promise he had made of judgment. He changed his mind. He didn't judge. The, he, didn't, he didn't do it anymore. Why? Because Jonah was that go-between. Jonah was their intercessor. Why? And, and, and Moses, so frequently, four times throughout the history of Moses' leadership, he interceded. He stood between God and God's judgment. And he said, God, don't do it. Remember your promises. You love these people. You promised that, 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 that their seed would be as many as the stars in the heavens. You promised this land to them. You promised they would be a blessing to the nations, God. God, don't do it. And God changed his mind. And, and I believe that God has given us 
his people a tool called intercession that allows us to stand between his judgment on the lost and his goodness and mercy and we can say God we are partnering with you in this and we are asking you to keep your promise of goodness and mercy and judge and and stop your judgment and reach out in great ways to these people and when we do that and we do it sacrificially and we do it continually and we call out to, to, to God in this kind of way, God becomes merciful. God loves to listen to those kinds of prayer. God will be merciful. And I believe that when we pray that way for the Buddhist world, hearts, God will answer. The Holy Spirit will begin to open their hearts. The Holy Spirit, like is happening in the, in the Muslim world now, will start to give visions and dreams. You know, well, the first time I heard uh, one of my friend in Bangladesh said, you know, I don't even know a single Muslim in my ministry here in Bangladesh who hadn't, did not come to God through a vision or a dream of Jesus appearing to them saying, I am Jesus, believe in me, go to a Christian and learn about me. Um, it's so common in that world. Why? Because there's been prayer for the Muslims for years and years. I don't know if you've heard of Juma Prayer Fellowship, but every Friday people pray and fast by the tens of thousands for the Muslim world. When I first heard that, I said, that's not fair. Why doesn't that happen in the Buddhist world? Why? Because we, we, there's not enough prayer. There's not enough intercession. When we call out to God and say, God, I'm standing between the Buddhist world and their judgment, um, uh, God listens to our prayer. He begins to reveal himself through visions and through dreams, and Buddhist people are going to come to Jesus Christ. And so Change the Map is, is exactly that. And we're, uh, God is waiting to partner with us to save the lost, and River of Life is going to be a part of this by starting through Pastor Corey. You're going to be starting a prayer group called Change the Map, River of Life, Change the Map, where... Um, where weekly you will be able, to, Pastor Corey will be inviting, I think, all of you to join. But I'm going to invite you this morning to look at the, uh, the next slide that has a uh, QR code, the one after that. Um, and you also have that QR code right in your seat on the bottom of this, uh, tr this uh, flyer that you all received. But it's a way to uh, sign into the prayer, the Change the Map prayer group and uh, say, yes, I'll be, I'll be a person who prays at least weekly. Now, we're not asking for all of you to be intercessors that fall on your faces and cry for hours and hours, though we need those. We need those. And, and God was, is going to speak to some of your hearts to be that, that kind of person. But we need people who will weekly say, Jesus, would you touch the Buddhist world? And so every week, if you sign up for this, you'll receive what's called prayer moments, new prayer requests for the Buddhist world, and there will be a person actually praying a prayer just a couple of minutes long, and we're asking people to come and to join that and to pray with us and to expect and to see miracles happen in the Buddhist world and people come to Jesus Christ like has never happened before. Would you do that? Lord God, I thank you for River of Life. I thank you for their commitment to missions. I thank you for their commitment to sending others through their finances. But I pray that you would use us, God. You'd use us and our prayers to make a difference in this world. Lord, and, and we pray, Lord, for those, even those that, that they're spiritually, their hearts are closed to the gospel and have been closed for years and years. God, use us. 
to stand between them and judgment. Use us to see their hearts open up to the, your gospel and to your truth, to get, give them a hunger for truth, a hunger for Jesus, we pray. I pray your blessing, Lord, on this church, and I pray that you'd call out the intercessors, you'd call out prayer partners from this church to make a difference in the Buddhist world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.